I was 12 going on 13, the first time I saw a dead human being. It happened in the summer of 1959, a long time ago, but only if you measure it in terms of years. I was living in a small town in Oregon called Castle Rock. There were only 1,281 people, but to me, it was the whole world. Life's the same, I'm moving in stereo. Life's the same, except for my shoes. Life's the same, you're shaking like tremble. Life's the same, it's all inside. Suck my fat one, you cheap dime store hood. This week, we cover a movie about bad parents and shitty adults in general. Although I don't remember it really being about that the last time I watched it. No, I don't either. But this time I watched it and it's weird. And, and we'll have more on that in the critical question because I'm, I've am i got like a whole different perspective on this movie. Yeah. Uh, first, this is the Pool Scene Podcast. I am Kevin. Gordy says he never had any friends later on like the ones he had when he was 12. I'm the luckiest because I do in my co-host Jim. Oh, my dude. Hey, now. And I don't think I'm Chris. So I'm not rebellious enough to be a Chris. Maybe I'm Vern. <laughs> okay. I think I am. All right. Uh, we are going to be talking the 1986 movie, Stand By Me. Sincerely. Based on Stephen King's novella, The Body. Not a lot of backstory with this one. Hollywood film producer Bruce A. Evans sent a copy of the book that includes the the body to his writing partner's wife, Karen Gideon, for her birthday in 1983. They reached out to Stephen King's agent for the rights. King wanted $100,000 and 10% of the gross profits. The $100,000 wasn't an issue. The 10% of the gross profits was kind of unheard of at the time. They eventually settled for $50,000 and an unknown amount of the gross profits. But if I had to guess, I'd say probably three to 5%. Yeah, I would say that's more of the norm. The body came from a book of short stories from King called Different Seasons, which also included the stories Shawshank Redemption and Apt Pupil, or at least that's what, I don't know if that, those were the names of the stories, but the movies Shawshank Redemption and Apt Pupil were, you know, had, Different Seasons had the stories those were based on. There was also a story called The Breathing Method, which is yet to be adapted. We're going to be talking about our favorite adaptations a little Later, director Adrian Lynn was brought in by Evans and Gideon to direct. Jim, did we cover Indecent Proposal? No, we did not. We talked about it. I, uh, for some reason... You know why? I forget who we had lined up to be on the show. Or maybe it was, we were going to do it with another podcast. It was Midnight Movie Night. We were going to do Indecent Proposal. The scheduling didn't work out because I remember I have notes yeah. on my phone for Indecent Proposal. I like completely remember covering it, but obviously we didn't. Yeah. Um, I feel like we did. Uh, Lynn directed Indecent Proposal, Flashdance, and Fatal Attraction. But then he actually dropped out of Stand By Me due to commitments directing Nine and a Half Weeks, specifically the production of nine and a half weeks ran too long and they were like all right man shitter get off the pot we need a director the days of normal mickey rourke yes exactly normal looking good dude pre, mickey rourke. pre quitting acting to become a boxer mickey rourke Ugh. 
Rob Reiner was brought in to direct, despite being most known at the time for directing This Is Spinal Tap. And then he was on what? All in the Family? Played Meathead? I don't remember what show it was. Meathead. <laughs> Different Meathead. You saw my car. I mean, since Stand By Me, Rob Reiner has directed The Princess Bride. A legend. When Harry Met Sally. Another Stephen King joint, Misery. Pardon the pun on joint. Ouch, my fucking foot. A Few Good Men. <laughs> and maybe 12 other things, as well as making acting appearance acting acting appearances yeah he popped in there every now and then especially in albert brooks movies because those two are best friends yeah, he's in uh, wolf of wall street he yep plays, uh, the muse dad. yeah the thing that probably makes this movie is the performances of the four child leads reiner was responsible for these casting choices and also he sent the kids to an improv theater class for two weeks to build camaraderie which is pretty smart yeah, because then so. the kids showed up to set friends already well what helped Two is River Phoenix came off of Explorers and yeah. he was in that with another ensemble kid cast. Yeah, filming and production were pretty straightforward, but I do have to mention something that happened on set. Kiefer Sutherland has told this story. There was a Renaissance fair near one of the filming locations. Some of the cast and crew went to the Renaissance fair. They brought back cookies. It turns out the cookies were weed cookies. Oh no! Two hours later, the crew found young Jerry O'Connell high and crying in the park. Dude, sincerely. <laughs> I'm sincerely high. Sincerely high, yo. Columbia Pictures thought the title The Body was misleading and that it sounded like a sex film, a bodybuilding <laughs> film, or another Stephen King horror film. It's as satisfying to me as uh, coming is, you know, as uh, having sex with a woman and coming. And so can you believe how much I am in heaven? I'm like uh, getting the feeling of coming in the gym. I'm getting the feeling of coming at home. I'm getting the feeling of coming backstage when I pump up, when I pose out in front of 5,000 people, I get the same feeling. So I'm coming day and night. I mean, it's terrific, right? <laughs> Can we not have a sex bodybuilding Stephen King horror film? Well, it makes me think of the sex or weightlifting sketch from one of the Adam Sandler CDs. Yeah. Is it sex or weightlifting? What do you think? Oh, well, that's people having sex. No, they were doing a military press. But, but no, you're them. wrong. Thank you very much for stopping by. Rob Reiner came up with the title because he heard Kiefer Sutherland teaching River Phoenix how to play guitar and specifically how to play the song Stand By Me on guitar. And they actually asked Michael Jackson to do a cover of Benny King's Stand By Me, but they decided the original version was better suited for the movie. It would have been weird if Michael had recorded a, a version and then they used it because the movie takes place... In 1959. In 1959, so it, it just makes more sense. No, I won't. Shamoa, be afraid. That's actually really, that's probably exactly what probably. it sounded like. Jim, did audiences stand by this film? Please give us budget box office news number ones at time of release. From WUAB, Channel 43, where the news comes first. This is the 10 o'clock news. Stand by me came out on August 22nd, 1986. Oh, Lord, stand by me. And it made a whopping $52 million on an $8 million budget. Pretty, Pretty darn good. good. Pretty damn good for that. On Rotten Tomatoes, it scored a 92% based on 55 reviews and scored a good 75 on the Metacritic. I wonder why. Like, I wonder what the marketing behind this film was that got that 
because we've seen like movies that seem to have all of the the oh, correct yeah. you know the right recipe and then no one sees them and then something like this it's a great movie but why did so many people go see it was it because it was a lot of commercials advertising it and it's a different type of movie was it the time it was released and it was one of those things where let's go to the movies and we'll just pick something i think it had good crossover appeal like it's richard dreyfus telling the story of him and his friends so you have kids coming in you have fathers who had a group of friends well i wouldn't say necessarily a family movie no there's an middle ground to it we'll talk about it further however so it took place in 1959 y'all so back in the days of alan freed being the man of the airwaves people tuned in ozzy and harriet ozzy you know when ozzy and harriet it didn't work so people decided to tune into ozzy and harriet which is a lot better made more sense they were also checking out detective joe friday busting perps on dragnet and rounding out the night watching bobby darren perform dream lover on ed sullivan hey what now it's the boss Vic Koss here. Welcome to the Zany Morning Zoo. It's time for the pie eating contest. Welcome to 1959 and on to the news. The Western series Bonanza starring Lauren Green and Dan Blocker with Michael Landon premieres on NBC. Kevin, you remember when you were huddled up against that 12 inch black and white watching Bonanza for the first time? I just remember Highway to Heaven with Michael Landon. Yes, I remember that. As my grandmother watched that show, I think all older people back then in the 80s with Michael Landon fell in love. <laughs> there was something about him that was quite heavenly, and he was a handsome son of a bitch. Speaking of handsome son of a bitches, the Soviet Union's Luna 2 is the first spacecraft to land on the moon. Soviet Russia scores a dramatic victory in the exploration of space with the launching of the first rocket to hit the moon. An historic scientific feat simulated in these scenes which showed the course of the multi-stage rocket carrying the 858-pound Lunik. Bearing the Soviet coat of arms and hammer and sickle pennants, it traveled 35 hours through space. It is the first man-made object to voyage from one cosmic body to another. Coinciding with Soviet Chairman Premier Nikita Khrushchev arriving in the United States to begin a 13-day visit, the first state visit of a Soviet or Russian leader ever in the United States. Things up, big Nikita in the house. Not Nikita Koloff, not the Russian sickle. Mm -mm. Nikita Khrushchev, him and Kennedy brought us back from the brink of nuclear war. If you didn't have TV in 1959, I'm pretty sure you were down with the radio show Fibber McGee and Molly. Kevin, do you have any of those? tapes in your back catalog what was it? Fibber, Fibber, McGee Mc Fibber McGee and Molly mm -mm. one of the best radio shows of all time the Johnson Wax program with Fibber McGee and Molly the makers of Johnson's Wax and Johnson's self-polishing glow coat present Fibber McGee and Molly written by Don Quinn with music by the King's Men and Billy Mills Orchestra the show opens with It's High Time had its final broadcast in 1959 in August, starring Jim and Marion Jordan. The show debuted on April 16, 1935, and was one of NBC's network's top programs during the 1940s, each Tuesday evening at 9.30. I always see old photos of people just huddled around the radio listening we, to stuff. I find it so fascinating. I had a weirdo college professor, and he was really into that sort of thing, and, and I think he was a big reason that at YSU we didn't have a student-run radio station, because we 
always had WISU, which was like this powerful classical music station. And we had one on Kent WKSU, but we also had Black yes. Squirrel Radio. So you had Black Squirrel Radio. So back then we had we didn't have student run radio. But anyway, this guy, you know, he did WISU and stuff. He always he was really into the old and he used to play us those ads for the um LS MFT. LS MFT. Lucky strike means fine tobacco. <laughs> and they used to have old these like, yeah, these really weird commercials because back then you didn't have all the, the bells and whistles to dress up a commercial. Yeah. So they had to have a hook. And that was like the Lucky Strike one. It would just it started and it was LS MFT. LS MFT. Lucky Strike means fine tobacco. But it gets you. Yeah. You'll never forget it once you hear it. Hot dogs. Armor hot dogs. The dogs. Kids love to buy. Hot dogs rule everybody. The first successful plain paper copying machine, the Xerox 914, was introduced at a show at the Sherry Netherland Hotel in New York. The first Xerox. Oh, in 1959. I'm pretty sure you, my dad still uses a Xerox fax machine. I don't in 2024. know what, uh, what conference is going on right now, but there's the electronics expo. CES. There you go. CES. Have you seen like the top 10 things come out of CES? Was I saw the one car you can control with a PlayStation controller a lot. Well, so like back to the future. Really? Yeah. No, pretty much. You can remote control. Well, well, unlike with docs, this one, you'll have fucking motion drift and then you're so screwed. I feel like 75% of the inventions are just different forms of television. Like a lot of foldable TVs. Foldable OLED transparent that's TVs. That's not transparent TVs. is kind of cool. It's cool, but I don't want to no, see through exactly, it. Like, exactly. What if somebody walks behind the TV? It's cool that it exists, but yes, I don't, I don't know. I don't and need then, to see grandpa with his fucking dick hanging out coming out of the bathroom and I'm watching I'm TV. Like foldable TVs. Somebody made like a projection that you can like crumple up. And I'm like, what is this for? And then my favorite, a physical keyboard on a smartphone. And somebody's like, so a BlackBerry. That's what it is. They're like, so we're bringing back the BlackBerry. Like, imagine all the companies that are like, this is our big show. This is like, we got to show off what we got. We're going to move into the future. A fucking keyboard on a smartphone. <laughs> like, they prepared all year for that. I'm waiting for Apple to finally come out and go, listen, we have the next killer phone. We have a version of the iPhone, but it flips open. Yeah. It's well, the new iFlip. I think they were a little premature because they did that in the last year or two with, is it the Google one? No, it's the Samsung. Is it Samsung? Z-Flip. Yeah. Yeah, there you go. Nobody Z-flip. bought that shit when no, I worked nobody at Best Buy. So uh, iPhone flip phone. I mean, I guess if there's foldable technology, that's probably what we're heading towards. Yeah. I don't mind flip phones. I like no, the, yeah, whatever flip kid. fine, but if anything, it'll maintain the screen better. But now I'm, uh, we're used to, we're creatures of habit. Uh-huh. We're used to our iPhones. If anything, I'm sorry, you Android fans out there. I don't know why you are. I, Keep your I don't phone, get it. Front pocket, back pocket, left or right. I used to be front left, but I noticed for the longest time I would get like weird phantom oh no weird fa- i don't know what it was but then i'm it's the 5g something like that there's microwaves no, the 3g kevin it was the 3g uh, damn it um it turned me into a scientologist no i keep it in my back left pocket now. okay you ever sit on an accident it's a habit i'm a creature habit every time i go to sit down i take you just it out. know i just, just know yeah it's like i used to carry a wallet forever until it started fucking up my back now i don't have a wallet anymore how much money did you have in that wallet i never i this thing is though i never really carried money anyway so i just got a clip with my cards oh okay you have a, a yeah clip deal i uh 
uh, left front pocket phone, right front pocket wallet, which is weird to a lot of people. Nothing in the back pockets. Really? By by rule, by habit. Yeah, I, it's not like I have a cool ass to show off uh, or anything, but... I have no ass. No, same. I think it would... Could you imagine having a flip phone in your pocket? Like, it, like not... I don't remember what it's like to have an old flip phone in my pocket. God, well... Like, looking back. Because that was beyond our time. 20 years ago or yeah. something, but... We never had that. Yeah. I can remember when my dad carried around his cell phone bag, because it literally <laughs> yeah. was a big fucking yeah. phone hardwired uh-huh. to a bag. I remember him bringing him home, but he was so proud. He's like, look what we got. We got a cellular phone. It was never a cell phone. It was a cellular phone. Cellular phone. Yeah. And then finally, the jetway. Kevin, you've been on a lot of jetways. I have not been on a jetway, but the extending bridge that permits airline passengers to travel directly between the terminal and the airplane door without going outside was used by airline passengers for the first time in 1959. Really? Yeah, which I'm like, God damn. It's not really like a groundbreaking invention. Not at all. Well, it... I mean, you see old footage of people literally walking onto the tarmac. Jump. They have to run. Jump, fucker. They have to run and jump uh, to get on. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, I never thought so either. But the stuff you learn when you are very, I thought this made me feel older, but I appreciate. Have have you seen any of the the footage of the icon of the seas, the Royal Caribbean? Any day now, it's going to launch its its maiden voyage. What that? Oh, no, I heard it's ridiculous. It holds um, with crew over 9,000 people. It's insane. Which, when you think about that, that is larger than the population of many u.s like towns holds nine thousand people they said it's so big that you could probably not see everything on the ship there are designated areas where if you buy like a, a suite you have your own part of the ship that no one else like only those people are allowed so on. they literally made another titanic yeah but well, bigger and i hope they didn't say this is unsinkable i hope they didn't but uh really really large one lifeboat just yeah one. <laughs> we only want the right ones to be saved the rest of them Fuck off. Mm-hmm. That's what they want. And then, Kevin, we have a birthday in 1959. Are you familiar with the actor J. Scott Greenspan? No. AKA Jason Alexander. Oh, okay. From Seinfeld was born on this date in Newark, New Jersey, the birthplace of my grandmother in 1959. J. Scott Greenspan. Hmm. Jason Alexander. Your number one movie in America at the time of when this movie took place in the universe in which we saw it. Labor Day weekend, 1959, North by Northwest. I prefer I prefer South by Southwest, but that's just me. And then your number one song in America, I am unfamiliar with this, The Three Bells by The Browns. Just a lonely bell was ringing in the little valley town. T'was farewell that it was singing to our good old Jimmy Brown. For three weeks, it was your number one song, The Three Bells by the Browns. I can't wait to hear playback and hear what that sounded like. I really hope it's something just off the wall going, what the fuck is this? <laughs> it's not Bobby Darren. It's The Three Bells. And that's all that was going on, not in August of 1986, but Labor Day weekend, 1959. Following the success of Stand By Me, Rob Reiner founded the production company Castle Rock Entertainment, named after the fictional setting of the movie, the first Castle Rock television show, Seinfeld. Oh, nice. Yeah, so that's pretty interesting. Um, I live right near Castle Rock Road. So all of Stephen King's, not all probably, but most Stephen King stories take place in Maine. Yeah. So fictional Castle Rock, Maine, where this was supposed to take place. In the book, someone it it references Portland, meaning Portland, Maine. Someone, one of the screenwriters who adapted the screenplay misunderstood Portland for Portland, Oregon. Oregon. And that's why this 
movie takes place in Oregon. I really want to know, and this is just a random poll I want to put out there for you pool sceners. Oregon or Oregon? Oregon. I think it's Oregon. It's like Illinois, not Illinois. Please. <laughs> Illinois. Yeah, Illinois. Um, you know, my question about takes place in Oregon is why does Gordy have a Michigan State pennant on his wall? And why does his brother Denny love the Yankees so much? Front runners. I, I think back Minus then, Michigan 59, State. 59, uh, yeah, I don't know. Oh, the Yankees, I mean, Jesus, yeah. you're, you're Mickey Mantle. Sure. All right, let's go on an adventure to find the plot. The movie opens in 1985. Gordy Lachance, which sounds like a hockey player, reads a newspaper article about a fatal stabbing of a lawyer. The movie is a retelling of an incident going back to 1959 when Gordy was 12 years old. Along with his best friend, Chris Chambers, and other two friends, Teddy Duchamp, Duchamp, he says it like they, two different they, ways. A couple people, they call him Duchamp at one yeah, point. Yeah, Duchamp, Duchamp. Teddy Duchamp was the craziest guy we hung around with. He didn't have much of a chance in life. His dad was given to fits of rage. One time he held Teddy's ear to a stove and almost burned it off. And Vern Tessio. They set out on foot to search for the body of missing local boy Ray Brower. His last name is Tessio? Tessio. Why the fuck did they not use that in a movie? Vern Tessio. Instead of just calling Vern, you go, hey, Tessio. Vern got tipped off about the location of the body because he was under the porch when he heard his older brother discuss it. You guys want to go see a dead body? Well, I was under the porch digging, you know? We all understood what Vern meant right away. So basically, this local boy, Ray Brower, has been missing three days, three I think. Days. Three days. Three days. And um, these two older kids know where he's at. They're in the Cobras. But the news is still reporting. We don't know if he's alive or dead. We're looking for him, whatever. Yeah, so two members of the Cobras, they're talking about where the body is. Vern's hiding under the porch and overhears them. We had all followed the Ray Brower story very closely because he was a kid our age. Three days before, he had gone out to pick blueberries, and nobody'd seen him since. So Gordy struggles because his parents seem to basically hate him, and they ignore him because they're drive like it's fucking sad. Yeah, they're still grieving the death of his brother, the pride Denny, and joy, who died in a jeep accident. Yeah. So again, Vern's older brother doesn't want to alert police to the location of the body because him and a friend recently stole a car, and they don't want to like put any heat on themselves. So the boys want to find the body and turn it into the police and turn it into the news so that they can be heroes just for one day. <laughs> Chris Wallflowers version. <laughs> Wallflowers, exactly. Chris brings his dad's gun with them. Why not? Chekhov's gun. Yeah. We'll get into it in a, a minute. Before they set out, Chris's older brother and gang leader, Ace. So Chris's older brother is named Eyeball Chambers, which is awesome. Yeah, because his eyes fucked up. Yeah, and then the leader is Ace. How is fucking Kiefer Sutherland ever played a role that is not cool? It's fucking awesome. Ace is like the coolest. Like him, David, God, Jack Hawaiian Bauer. Shirt. He still has like the David bleached hair. So like fucking cool so man. cool god uh, really gave me that and now you're giving it to me give it to me come come on man that's mine you real asshole you know that Ooh. your brother's not very polite eyeball now christopher i know you didn't mean to insult my friend i know he didn't mean to insult me that's why i'm gonna give him the opportunity of taking it back Ace gives the boys some shit. He steals Gordy's Yankees hat, which was his brother's. And then the boys, like, on, on the trip, they encounter all kinds of shit. As Jim said earlier, this takes place Labor Day weekend. Yep, 1959. So the boys encounter all kinds of shit. So they're caught trespassing in a junkyard. The owner is able to identify all of them. He singles out Teddy by calling his dad Looney. That set Teddy off. You're Teddy Duchamp. 
Your dad's a loony. A loony up in the nut house in Togas. He took your ear and he put it to a stove and he burnt it off. My father stormed the beach in Normandy. He's crazier than a shithouse rat. No wonder you're acting the way you are, with a loony for a father. You call my dad a loony again, and I'll kill you. Loony, loony, loony. Ah! I'm gonna rip your head off and shit down your neck! Go! I'm gonna kill you! Come on and try it, you little slimy bastard! He wants you to go over there so he can beat the piss out of you and then take you to the cops! You watch your mouth, smart guy! Let him do his own fighting. Sure, you only outweigh my 500 pounds, fat ass! I know your name. You're the chance. I know all you guys. And all your fathers are gonna get a call from me. Except for the loony up in Tokus. Oh, come on, man. Get it. Get it. Get it. Get it. They almost get hit by a train while on the tracks crossing a bridge. They Run get fat ass. They get covered in leeches when they're crossing a, a swamp. On his dong. So the boys find the body, but then Ace and his gang arrive and threaten the boys. Because basically Ace, one of the two that knows where the body is, just kind of can't help but like keep saying stuff. Until yeah. eventually they admit they know where it's at. And Ace is like, well, let's go. Ace and his gang arrive, threaten the boys. Ace wants to claim the body. Chris doesn't back down until Ace threatens to cut his throat until Gordy gets the gun, fires some warning shots. You're not taking him. Nobody's taking him. Come on, kid. Just give me the gun before you take your foot off. You ain't got the sack to shoot a woodchuck. Move, Ace. I'll kill you, I swear to God. Come on, LaChance, give me the gun. You must have at least some of your brother's good sense. Suck my fat one, you cheap dime store hood. What are you gonna do, shoot us all? No ways, just you. Ace and his gang leave, but say they'll have their revenge. Gordy and his friends decide that getting fame from finding the body would exploit Ray Brower's death, so they call it in anonymously. Back in present day, we get a voiceover epilogue explaining what happened to each character. The stabbed lawyer from the beginning is Chris, who is trying to break up a fight in a fast food restaurant. Well, that paper in the beginning does say Chris Chambers. It does. Yeah, yeah. so it kind of gives it away, unfortunately. Yeah. The narrator, adult Gordy, has been writing this all as a manuscript and then he goes outside to play with his sons, which I think they're both his sons. It also, if you've never seen this before and you've seen the Sandlot, the Sandlot ends the same way. Everybody walks away and disappears. Yeah, Bertram got really into the 60s. Uh, characters, Will Wheaton as Gordy, or I guess Gordon Gordy Lachance. He's 12 years old. Corey Haim auditioned, but the studio wanted him as Chris Chambers. Not wanting to play the best friend and only play the lead, he took the role of Lucas, which I've said we definitely need to fast track covering. It's a great movie. Lucas with the lid off. Sean Astin, Stephen Dorff, and Ethan Hawke were considered. Makes sense. Richard Dreyfuss as adult Gordon. Michael McKean was considered, but the scenes were actually shot, actually filmed with David David Dukes, and then they Back to the Future style reshot with Dreyfus. Interesting. Dreyfus and Reiner were high school friends. I don't think it was because Dukes was bad, because it's like two scenes. It wouldn't have mattered. I think it's just like Reiner was trying to take care of Dreyfus, and I bet something like wasn't working.
working out with scheduling or something, and then it opened up. Did he dye his hair for this role, Richard Dreyfus? Because it looked unnaturally he does red, look very kind of undreyfus like. Looks bad. River Phoenix is Chris Chambers. He lost his virginity during filming. Awesome. He, he came in late to set one day with a huge smile after spending the night with a family friend. Corey Feldman is Teddy. Off screen, Feldman drank alcohol, kissed a girl, smoked pot for the first time. Probably a bad thing in his case. Oh, yeah. I mean, those... Now, if Haim was there, it probably would have been worse. And it's weird that Haim wasn't in this because Feldman's in it. You know what I it's mean? It's one of those rare occurrences yeah. where you don't get a Haim-Feldman collab. But it could have been Vern and uh, and Ted, or actually, he would have been Chris Chambers. So, I could yeah. not see Corey Haim as no, Chris Chambers. No, either. No. Not at all. Jerry O'Connell as Vern Tessio, his film debut. Kiefer Sutherland as John Ace Merrill. So cool. Casey Samasco as Billy Tessio. Once again, that guy is in, well, he was in Back to the Future. Yeah. He's in a lot of shit. He Him had like a sister. really promising career. Oh, and yeah. Then, I don't know what happened. John Cusack as Denny Lachance. Just Corey's a write-off with John Cusack. Marshall Bell as piece of shit Mr. Lachance. Francis Lee McCain as Mrs. Lachance. Piece of shit Mrs. Lachance. Yeah, she's kind of a piece of shit, too. So, uh, and then Andy Lindbergh as Davey Lardass Hogan. Have to mention him. <laughs> so uh, cool. Which actor or actress gives a pass performance does any non-lead character steal scenes who do you like it's story? river phoenix yeah i he's so fun dude just the one-on-ones between him and gordy he comes across way wiser and way older than what he is as a kid like he constantly reminds gordy and there's that one scene where he was like i wish i was your father i've never seen somebody who portrays a kid seem like he's 41 and somehow has his shit together but insecure about getting the hell out of town so river Perfect. River Phoenix is in 14 movies. Two of them were released posthumously after he died. It's hard to say what his career would have been, but, you know, Chris Chambers in this movie gets stabbed trying to break up a fight. In real life, River Phoenix overdosed at the Viper Room yeah. in on the Sunset Strip. While I was watching this, because it's been probably a good 10, 15 years since I've seen this movie, and one thing popped into my head. So River Phoenix, I mean, he died in, was it 93, 94? Yeah. I think. Yeah. Was River Phoenix gonna be on that level say you know he survives 94 and he grows up gets more wiser does he become the Leonardo DiCaprio well that's sort of who he was compared to like somewhere in the Leonardo DiCaprio Jared Leto James Franco sort of thing in my opinion you know he started off with Explorer Stand By Me great start he plays young Indiana Jones in The Last Crusade and then he's in a movie called My Own Private Idaho and he's awesome and he was nominated for awards for that. So like up until then, I'm like, is he just another child actor? It's hard to say. But then when he did My Own Private Idaho, you're like, okay. He's the next. You are actually a great actor. Um, That's a Gus Van Sant movie from 91. Definitely worth checking out. I think it's on Criterion. It's got him and Keanu Reeves. It's a good one. I have, I mean, it's probably Kiefer Sutherland is ace. So fuck, I can't stress it's, he's, how cool he is. He's a really bad guy. He's like a, he's, I mean, he's a dick. There's not, he's not redeemable in any way. There was not one moment in this movie in which I detested him as a heel. I just am like, man, he's cool. Like, he's, I don't he's give so a shit cool. if he's bashing mailboxes. I love the fact that if you hit a wooden mailbox, it's an out. All right, let's uh, let's move on to best scenes. And Jim, you go first. It's the first Chris and Gordy heart to heart when they're walking down the railroad tracks and Gordy looks at Chris and goes, am I weird? Yeah. Just level with me. Am I weird? You could be a real writer someday, Gordy. Fuck writing. I don't want to be a writer. It's stupid. It's a stupid waste of time. That's your dad talking. 
Bullshit! Bull true. I know how your dad feels about you. He doesn't give a shit about you. Danny was the one he cared about. Don't try to tell me different. You're just a kid, Gordy. Oh, gee, thanks, Dad. Wish the hell I was your dad. You wouldn't be going around talking about taking these stupid job courses if I was. It's like God gave you something, man. All those stories that you can make up. And he said, this is what we got for you, kid. Try not to lose it. But kids lose everything unless there's someone there to look out for them. And if your parents are too fucked up to do it, then maybe I should. Because throughout the whole movie, Gordy's trying to come to grips that his family, his mom and dad, don't like him. Yeah. And the fact that his older brother, who was the pride and joy, the golden boy of the family, died. Yeah. And now he is an afterthought, and he wants to know why am I looked at like I'm nothing? Why am I worthless? And it's if it's not for Chris, thank God for Chris, because then I'm thinking Gordy's going to go down a fucking slope and it's yeah. going to be an unstoppable slope. Right. Because there's the whole I mean, I don't know if it's the same scene, but there's the whole thing where Gordy's like, fuck being a writer. Chris is like, no, man, like be a writer. Like you're good at this. Like and, and Chris tells him. And I think I have that as one of my scenes. Yeah. Which like basically Chris is very wise beyond his years. He, he tries to tell Gordy if he doesn't find new friends they're gonna drag him down he's literally like the next junior will be split up what are you talking about why would that happen it's not gonna be like grammar school that's why if you're taking your college courses and me teddy and Vern, while we'll be in the shop courses with the rest of the retards making ashtrays and birdhouses you're gonna meet a lot of new guys smart guys meet a lot of pussies is what you mean no man don't say that don't even think that i'm not going in with a lot of pussies forget it well then you're an asshole What's asshole about wanting to be with your friends? It's asshole if your friends drag you down. You hang with us, you'll just be another wise guy with shit for brains. Stop being friends with us. We are, we're not gonna- We're scumbags. Yeah, we're, we're scumbags. Town. I had a good friend like this when I was young. Like, and in fairness, he was trouble to some extent. And and I will say, I, I don't really want to out him. His dad died in a car accident in front of their house. Oof. And like, when he was like old enough to know what was yeah. going on, but still young enough that- whatever. And then his mom died of cancer, but she, I, I will say, you know, not speak ill of the dead. She wasn't a good person. Okay. She was an asshole and selfish and stuff. So not to defend his actions, but he was some trouble. He was a, a, a bit of a troubled youth. So one time when we were 12 or so, a few of us were kind of complicit in going along with something that he was doing, something that was his idea. We'll call it a string of vandalism, nothing major, nothing like you didn't do a B and E. We weren't no, we weren't doing B and E. We weren't doing arson. Mailbox I mean, baseball. No, it wasn't that. It was just I would call it minor. Kids being kids. But ultimately he got caught. Someone snitched. And honestly, he could have named all of us and said that we were all there with him. And we were like twelve. He took a hundred percent responsibility and never gave up any names. And like I remember thinking, like, even at the time, like he's like a Chris Chambers. And he did again, he did it for the same reason as Chris, which is you'll get dragged down hanging out with someone like me. He just kind of like recognized like he like sacrificed for us but what i love about chris too is like he constantly asks gordy even though stop being friends with he'll also ask him am i ever getting out of here yeah am i ever getting yeah. out of here because look at the every single one of them their families are beyond dysfunctional yes so i i will say back to my friend i will say he's kind of like an amalgamation of all these characters and and unfortunately it didn't turn out like he didn't become a lawyer like chris he actually did some time uh drug related charges but he was always that that great friend you know that person who was you could always count on oh, despite yeah. even though being in trouble as far as like wise beyond his years and a great friend he was always there i will say train it's iconic run fat ass it's yes train! 
shit! Move it, man! Go on, move it! Get up first! Get it! Get up! Move it! There is a bridge, how, 100 yards. I mean, how big do we think this bridge is? Here's the thing. What doesn't help how it's filmed. I mean, at one point you use a green screen background, but the way it's filmed, it doesn't look like it's very long. No, but I would say, yeah, 100 yards, maybe 100 yards. Yeah, it's, it, it's a bridge. It's about they say it's like 100 feet up. I think Gordy is like smart because he reaches down and he feels the train track to feel if it's vibrating or anything. And then you hear it and you look back. But then when they're maybe halfway across, you hear the train coming you see the train coming. Now what's holding them up is that Vern <sighs> is on his hands and knees crawling. Even when the train comes, he's still walking on his hands and knees. You know what? The MVP of that scene's fucking Gordy. Cause the whole time yeah. he's just taking one step behind him. Yeah. One step be- I would be, I, oh, I'd be gone. I would have thrown him off the fucking yes. bridge. He'd yep. be dead. The train comes, they shot it with a telephoto lens. So they're facing the kids in front of the train, but they did a telephoto lens. So it looks stacked a lot closer. So the train's not actually that close to him. <laughs> And then when Gordy grabs Vern to jump off, he jumps off. It's not the smallest jump off point. And where they show them land is within a group of rocks. How yes. are they not dead? I have a logic point. They would have been better off jumping the hundred feet into the water, water. probably. Yeah. And swimming, you know, up to the, the shore rather than they get to the very end. They probably only have another 10 feet or something. They get to the very end when they can't possibly wait anymore. They jump onto rocks and it's, <laughs> it's so still dumb. like a 20 foot jump onto rocks. So dumb. Crazy. But yeah, absolutely iconic scene from this movie. So my next one is the Barfarama. Slowly, a sound started to build in Larnell's stomach. A strange and scary sound, like a log truck coming at you at 100 miles an hour. Suddenly, Bardess opened his mouth. And before Bill Travis knew it, he was covered with five pies worth of used blueberries. Which, oh, lardass. Lardass, the pie-eating contest. It's, so Gordy tells a campfire story. Oh, Gordy so is a writer. Creative genius. Yes, and they're sitting around a fire, and they ask, Gordy, tell us one of your stories. Oh, it's so good. And it seems like he, he kind of says, like, I, it's usually a different type of story. Yeah. It leads into them telling, or Gordy telling them a story about good old lardass, the yeah. pie-eating contest. A guy, a guy named Davy Hogan, which who everyone calls lardass. Like, even the adults, and, and they uh, show the adults. And everyone call him lardass. So hammy. It's a weird looking dude yeah. right off the bat. So it's stereotypical, but even weirder. So it's a pieting contest. You have the dignitaries of the town. You have the boss Vic Koss yeah. character. You have the mayor. You have the three time defending pie eating yeah. champion, which this guy, we need to talk it's about the loyal order of antelope, something like that. You have all these guys and they're all chanting lardass. But what we don't know is while the pieting contest starts, you get the backstory, what Gordy said says he did this for revenge not to fucking win so oh, he yeah. chugs a whole bottle of castor, castor oil, oil and then he takes a raw egg so as he's eating he's blowing through pie after pie after pie clearly winning he's not eating all those pies that's a logic point there needs to be a pie contest rule because they're violating every fucking part of it so he gets to about the eighth pie and all of a sudden he gets him and he's waving and next thing you know he pukes on the fucking
fucking three-time champion, which leads to everybody else puking, the people in the crowd puking. Meanwhile, Lardass is standing there with a smile on his face. And then the boys call out Gordy because they're like, well, what did he do after? He's like, oh, I, yeah. that's just how the story ends. Yeah, Teddy wanted him to be like a school shooter. He's a school shooter or something to do with Normandy. He was obsessed with Normandy. That's all he talked about. Yeah, so basically Lardass, uh, again, he drink, he eats maybe a portion of four pies. More like a portion of two. And then he stands up, he starts rumbling. He ends up puking right in the one dude's face. Ugh. And then it's a chain reaction, everybody puking. When they filmed this, I don't remember what they said they made to puke out of, but it smelled. People actually started throwing oh. it. So kind of like really. I do like puke scenes like that in a movie because it's so clear the way it's blocked that there's this massive yeah. tube next to somebody's face uh-huh. and it's just jettisoning vomit. Uh, leeches, they cross what they seem to be like. It looks like a puddle. It's a swamp. But actually it's like, a, yeah, like a pond, like a swamp. They end up wrestling. Oh, sh- oh shit. Yeah, they end up wrestling, having fun until they realize they're all covered in leeches. Finally, Gordy finds a leech in his underwear. Mm-hmm. And he, I guess it's on his dick. I don't yeah, know. I'm, yeah, or his balls. Uh, he passes out. And then they're all arguing over whether they're going to turn around and, and head back. And Gordy's like, we're not heading back. Maybe we should take Gordy back. Oh, great, Chambers. Now you're turning pussy, too. What's your problem, dude, champ? He had a leech hanging from his balls. He fainted. What are you, his mother? Eat shit. You eat shit. Hey, hey, hey. I think Chris is right. Let's go back. Oh, <laughs> what a surprise. The king of the pussies wants to go back, too. Stop calling me that. What, pussy? Stop it. Pussy. Stop, pussy, 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 you pussy. All right, psycho. Ah, get out of me. Ow. Hey. Do a fudging. Do you like it? I would have went by myself if they didn't follow me. Yeah. Stephen King says this actually happened to him as a child and it was written from personal experience. The dick part, I don't know. <laughs> he did swim through a little swamp and then was covered in leeches, <sighs> which is oh gross. That would freak me out. So my last one is the second Gordy and Chris heart to heart. It's at the campfire. Maybe I was sorry and I try to give it back. Tried to give it back? Maybe. Just maybe. And maybe I took it to old lady Simons and told her, and the money was all there. But I still got a three-day vacation because it never showed up. And maybe the next week, old lady Simons had this brand new sugar on when she came to school. Yeah, yeah, it was brown and had dots on it. Yeah. So let's just say that I stole the milk money, but old lady Simons stole it back from me. Just suppose that I told the story. Me. Chris Chambers, kid brother to eyeball Chambers. Do you think that anyone would have believed it? Oh. And do you think that that bitch would have dared tried something like that if it had been one of those douchebags from up on The View if they had taken the money? No way. Hell no. But with me? I'm sure she had her eye on that skirt for a long time. Anyway, she saw her chance and she took it. I was the stupid one for even trying to give it back. I just never thought... I never thought... The teacher... Oh, the so fuck anyway... It's where Chris complains, you know, to Gordy that he hates how his family's reputation is. And then this is like Chris is fucking breaking down. Like you you finally see Chris not be the stoic, heroic type. You show his real humanity and he admits to like stealing milk money. And then he confessed it to a teacher. But then the teacher, he returned the money. He returned the money, but the teacher suspended him, but then pocketed the said money. And then he was just fucking devastated that the teacher would betray him and that kind of fucked with his the way he looked at authority and yeah. adults like that because the one person he didn't think would defy him did and you just when you see fucking river phoenix as an actor it just break and he's breaking and you you got gordy crying next to him and you just see gordy thinking man i thought 
Chris was this guy who had his shit together. And yeah. you see him, he's like, just like me. He was, he humanized himself. Here in a bit, we've got a big conversation to have about the adults in this movie and stuff. Uh, the last one I have is this movie has one of the best epilogues. Oh, it's so explaining good. Explaining what happened to all the characters. As time went on, we saw less and less of Teddy and Vern until eventually they became just two more faces in the halls. It happens sometimes. Friends come in and out of your life like busboys in a restaurant. I heard that Vern got married out of high school, had four kids, and is now the forklift operator at the Arsenault Lumberyard. Teddy tried several times to get into the army, but his eyes and his ear kept him out. Last I'd heard, he'd spent some time in jail and was now doing odd jobs around Castle Rock. Chris did get out. He enrolled in the college courses with me, and although it was hard, he gutted it out like he always did. He went on to college and eventually became a lawyer. Last week, he entered a fast food restaurant. Just ahead of him, two men got into an argument. One of them pulled a knife. Chris, who had always made the best piece, tried to break it up. He was stabbed in the throat. He died almost instantly. I mean, I love like movies with epilogues. Can't hardly wait. The Sandlot you mentioned earlier, but this one has a good one, you know, with how they're saying, like, oh, we never really saw him. Basically, after this trip, they see less and less of Vern and Teddy. And they said it right. Sometimes friends come into your, your life at certain times and then you just grow. Yeah. Sometimes so, it happens. So good epilogue. Not a swimming pool in this one. I would imagine 1959, not a lot of people had swimming pools at their home, but they leech did swamp. swim through a leech swamp. So, hey guys, I decided to jump in here and and I'll tell you about one time I got a leech on my brother Donnie's dick. Guess what, guys? We'll chalk. All right, we're going to be talking about Stephen King adaptations. Last I knew, there were well over 60 movies and TV series and miniseries based on Stephen King stories. I had no idea it was that much. It's crazy. And in, and they go back to the well a few times. Like, they do a couple. Like, they're it. Perfect example. There's it. There's the it remake. The it sequel. There's tons of it's. There's tons of it's. <laughs> Uh, all right. Coming so. to a skating rink near you. I'll go first. My number five. In 1997, they made a movie called Trucks. There was actually a second adaptation of a story that probably didn't need a first adaptation. But if you love camp like me, there is a place for my number five. Maximum Overdrive. Oh, this is my number two. Trucks definitely didn't need to exist and is universally known as the absolute worst Stephen King adaptation ever. But in Maximum Overdrive, Emilio Estevez plays a character named Bill Robinson. Because he looks like a Bill Robinson. (laughs) He Uh, looks more Bill Robinson than Gordon Bombay. Maximum Overdrive is about machines coming to life because a comet comes too close to Earth, but there's an iconic truck that has what looks like the Green Goblin face on the front. And I'm pretty sure in the end it had something to do with the Soviets blowing up a UFO. It's definitely like a fun. It's always those goddamn Soviets. Saturday morning or Sunday morning watch on the couch. Like if you watch an hour of dumb fun. Yeah, Maximum Overdrive. And you don't need to complete the movie. You can jump in the middle. Oh, yeah. It's like Night of the Comet. Yeah, it's just a fun movie. It's a fun movie. So my number five, I mean, it's iconic. It's ridiculous. And all I can think of is having the husband do the bed and you just take a fucking sledgehammer to the feet. It's fucking misery, man. I mean, miseried is a verb for a reason. Jesus Christ. I remember when I saw this movie, shocked the shit out of me. James Conn, Kathy Bates, Stephen King, masterpiece. Stephen King, masterpiece. Make him say, uh, is there going to be a Master P adaptation? That'd be great. I, no limit records. I, I, I highly doubt it. Uh, number four, I'm going Killer Vehicles again with 1983's Christine. Ooh, good. 
Directed by John Carpenter, a nerdy high schooler buys a 1958 Plymouth Fury that quote unquote comes to life and is also seemingly indestructible. This is kind of like where they make the joke. There's a family guy joke where Stephen King's sitting in and they're like, Steve, you got any ideas for us? And he's like, he's looking around. It's sort of like the Maxwell Hauser thing from hiding out. And he's looking around. <laughs> he picks up a lamp and he's like, oh, a lamp that kills people. And they're like, all right, how fast can you have it? Because like Stephen King has such a huge volume of work. Tons. Not all of it is like the best but I, just something cool about the movie Christine but when you think about it you're like it's a killer it's an indestructible killer car, car. yeah it's just weird but I like it it's fun so my next one by far became one of my favorite movies of all time and it exposed me here on the podcast as I've never seen it we did it as a season premiere Shawshank Redemption mm-hmm. I mean one of the most amazing endings of a movie in movie history it's like what more can you say about it's just my number one it's my number one because it proves proves that you know Stephen King at heart is a great writer That's like excellent I mean when he's not writing about killer cars and you know lamps trucks. that kill people in trucks like he wrote something like Shawshank Redemption that's fantastic like what a great story stand the test of time my number three Pet Cemetery. 1989, directed by Mary Lambert. Wasn't the biggest fan of this movie. My favorite Ramon song, also named Pet Cemetery, was recorded for the movie. This one scared me as a kid a lot. And I think yeah. that's why I like it so much, because I watched it as a kid, and I was like, man, that's freaky. Spelled cemetery, right? Um, yes, probably my first exposure to Fred Gwynn, not as Herman Munster. Or the judge from My Cousin Vinny. Yes. Oh, what? You. Two Utes? <laughs> Originally, George Romero was going to direct Pet Cemetery, but oh had, wow! But had to pull out. He bought the rights. Really? George Romero bought the rights to Pet Cemetery. It would have been called Pet of the Dead. Probably. The concept is that a family moves onto land that has an ancient burial ground. Basically, if you bury a dead thing there, it comes back to life. The problem is, it comes back evil. There's a highway next to them with a uh, with semi trucks that end up running over a lot of things. Highway to hell. Highway to hell. So my number three is another. I think underrated Stephen. King novel novella turned into a movie Christopher Walken the dead zone yeah dead zone ranks when you look these up dead zone ranks pretty high up there it does wasn't there a dead zone tv show as well there was with Anthony Michael Hall which is on USA Network this is fucking weird this was the start of the weird like Christopher Walken's fucking weird Mm -hmm. dude but you get that piece at the end where Martin Sheen's in it and like the ability that he has he ended up getting a car accident getting in a coma but he gets a sense when he touches somebody physically he can see into their future. You see a scene where he grabs Martin Sheen's character who's running for Senate or governor at the time, shakes his hand, he becomes president and he starts a nuclear war. It's one of the most intriguing things. And inevitably he's the town weirdo. He ends up sacrificing himself. He dies. Game over. But this is where people saw weird walking for the first time. Weird walking. My number two, The Shining. Um, Stephen King hated it. The very famous 1980 (laughs) Stanley Kubrick movie. And again, often you'll hear Stephen King hated it. He did, but there's more to it. It's actually really fascinating. He didn't hate the movie necessarily as much as what he hated, what Kubrick did to his story. That was the thing. Which is that he completely changed it. Kubrick was like, I don't want this. I want the idea of this and then I'll make my own thing. I went 2001 in a hotel. So Stephen King, like anytime you hear him talk about it, he just sounds so conflicted. He's like, oh, there's great themes in it and suspense and horror. And then he's like, but then he absolutely shit on everything.
everything I did. And then you had Shelley Duvall. Yeah. And so it's just not what Stephen King wrote. It's fascinating from that perspective that it could be a good book and a good movie, but they're very much different. And then you have the sequel, Dr. Sleep, which is also fascinating because it's sort of like both a more true to the book adaptation while also serving as a sequel to the Kubrick movie. So okay, it tries I've to marry both uni- universes. So my number two, like I said, was Maximum Overdrive. Yeah, my number one, Shawshank. And then my number one wasn't penned by Stephen King. It was penned by Richard Bachman, his alias, 1987 Arnold Schwarzenegger, my favorite Schwarzenegger movie, The Running Man, which is polar opposite of the actual novel, which I heard and read that they are actually doing the adaptation done by Edgar Wright, who's doing the actual novel adaptation of The Running Man, which is polar opposite. A lot of people put this on their Schwarzenegger list a lot lower. I fucking love The Running Man. We covered The Running Man. Holds a special place in my heart. Captain Freedom. I mean, come on. What else do you need to say? It's Stephen King, not a Stephen King, but Richard Bachman. It's, you know, it's weird with Richard Bachman because I think uh, the persona came from... King was producing such a, a tremendous amount of work that publishers were like, one book per year, Steve. You're doing too much, pal. So they kind of had to do Richard Bachman in order to kind of spread it out. And also it worked out better for him because I, I don't know that this is true, but if there was something that wasn't quite like what he wrote, he could just release it under Bachman. Yeah, it was, it was Dick Bach. Yeah, Dick Bach. Let's go through some honorable mentions. Tommy Knockers. So we have to mention... Stephen King hates this, hates Tommy Knockers <laughs> because it happened during what happened. Stephen King had a tremendous cocaine addiction and during his cocaine addiction, he farted out a bunch of crap that he hated. He like wrote a bunch of stories during his cocaine addiction that he's not a fan of, but I think it was just like whatever money of the lamp that kills people. It was uh fueling, you know, the, um, the habit, the habit essentially. Yeah. So some of those from like, the pen to the nose. Yeah. So some of those he wasn't a fan of, and, and I like some of them like, uh, um, sleepwalkers the people that turn into like cats yeah it's such a weird movie either the langoliers too yeah, right langoliers carrie oh yeah which is uh, you know iconic it's kind of a, a shame it didn't appear in either of our lists the uh, stand is another the stand dolores claiborne which i never realized was stephen I king no i today and years old kathy bates was oh, also once again k bates then dolores claiborne i think doesn't she kill her they suspect that she killed her previous boss and now she's just like living her life. Yeah. It and it remakes. We mentioned, um, to me, green miles. Great. It's too like in the same family with Shawshank. Yeah. So I was only going to pick like one or the other prison. Yes. Uh, the mist, which directed by Frank Darabont, Thomas Jane, Thomas Jane, devastating ending creep show. Cujo, Children of the Corn, one of my personal favorites, Lawnmower Man. Oh, God. Ridiculous. 90s CGI Job. Salem's Lot, Mr. Mercedes TV series, and then Jim, one for you, 112263 with Stephen oh, King. Oh, so good. The time travel, we're going to stop Kennedy's assassination. And then show. time found a way to change things. Yeah. So, all right, let's uh, get back in the pool. Hopefully, the leeches are gone. <laughs> Chris, I. Oh, shit, man. <laughs> What is it? It's nothing. Nothing. It's nothing, right? Then if you gentlemen don't mind, I'd like to finish this game before I start collecting my goddamn social security, okay? You're up, Billy. Move it. All right. Give me this fucking thing. Let's play ball. All right. I'm excited about this. 
when, All right. when we're covering this, this is what I was looking forward to is our critical question because I knew what it was going to be right from the offset. The critical question actually probably serves as the first piece of logic. Was Ray Brower actually hit by the train? If so, was it accident or suicide? How far away from the train tracks? He's very is, fucking far from the train. He was murdered. He was not hit by the train. If he was hit by the train, he would somehow have survived the impact and made his way to that spot. So it's interesting that you say that. So more so stemming from the book, but there is a lot of support that Ray Brower was murdered and then he was either tossed or staged by the tracks in order for people to think he was hit by a train. In the book, Gordy points out that like the injuries don't align with what you a would train from impact. a train. Both the book and the movie have a lot of examples of adults doing bad things to children, not being there for them. So for example, Gordy's parents, Chris's teacher stealing the money from him after he returned it because she knew no one would believe him. The lard-ass story, all the adults are mean to lard-ass. The junkyard guy picking on Teddy about his yep. dad. I mean, there's a ton of... This movie paints this picture where, you know, kids live in a world where adults aren't fair to children and adults are, are bad to them. So, therefore, the working theory is also, if we saw Ray Brower's story, he was killed by an adult. Makes sense. So, an adult killed Ray Brower, left him by the train track, staged it to be a, be a train. So, I don't know. I mean, I guess tell us what your theories are out there, but I to me, that's my canon, is that Ray Brower was murdered. He was too far away from the train tracks. He's so far away. He would had to have done something supernatural to end up there. Okay, so let's move into logic. Someone I'm so glad didn't go on the journey with these four kids is David McCall. Hey guys, let's talk real quick, okay? You guys like to associate with me Ray Brower, but I had nothing to do with him, okay? I was friends with Ace. Ace, fucking cool guy, okay? He came around and said, hey man, this fucking Ray Brower guy was fucking with your brother Donnie, and Donnie's part of New Kids, and I'm not having to have that, okay? So what I did was I got in a train, and I went choo-choo, motherfucker, and next thing you know, boom goes Ray Brower. Oh, God, bye. That was the sound I heard in my head. But I was like, no, Ray, this is what's going to happen right now. It's going to be whistle, choo-choo, and I'm going to fucking kill you. It all could have been different, Mr. Walker. You should have allowed nature to take its course. All could have been different, Ray Brower. Uh... <laughs> So this is something that in adulthood bothers me a little bit, which is why would the kids want to see a dead body? So I know they say it's so they could be heroes, be on the news. And I recently told you my dead body policy. It may be a shit, shitty policy on my part. <laughs> but if, I ever see, if I ever see nope. a dead body, I'm reluctant to tell police because I don't want to be questioned about possible involvement. I saw nothing. I saw, I'm walking in the woods. There's dead body. It's for somebody else to find. Not I'm sorry. my problem. Now, like TJ pointed out to me, well, what if there were cameras that saw you walk past the body i just be like i never saw a body i didn't see shit i walked past it i didn't look in the woods no. i was looking straight down the road and now there's no way to make an anonymous call to the police the kids call the police anonymously that is literally impossible to do there's no such thing as anonymity anymore even if you found a pay phone they have a camera that can like signal in on exactly who called from that pay phone. this is how dumb society is right now so these four kids let's use them in a modern analog they would see a dead body First thing they would do, fucking post it on TikTok. Oh, yeah. Hey, guys, I think it's a dead body. Look at me. I'm Logan Paul. Ha! Uh, Ace would rather kill his friends oh. or an oncoming dri driver rather than lose an imaginary race. But I think they did this to show you that Ace actually would have killed Chris. And like, so first off, imagine if Ace did kill Chris. What, How what? do you explain that? And then you have oh. two dead bodies. 
in then, the same place. Then you're like, I think Ace might be the person of interest when it comes to Ray Brower. Yeah. And Jim, do you think Ace and his gang ever got revenge? Because the threat is, okay, you guys win today, but we're going to get our revenge. And these are guys who don't seem to be playing games. But what if those were the two guys in the fast food place that killed and accidentally stabbed Chris? There you go. What if that was an accident? That it was, was Ace the and Eyeball arguing. They were at Burger King. In the book... Ace kicks Gordy in the balls, breaks his nose, breaks his fingers. Uh, basically, with a kick to the balls, that's amazing. They they basically wait for the kids to come back to town, and, and then they they beat they the, beat shit, the out. shit out of all of them. Yeah, Gordy breaks his nose, breaks his fingers, and gets kicked in the balls. Let's talk about this right now. This pie eating contest. There needs to be an established set of rules about eating a pie, dumping your face into the middle of the pie that is clearly not finished, and then saying next done. done. No. You eat the entire fucking, it's in a circular plate for a reason. You circle around that shit. You don't dump your face right in the middle, take a couple licks and say, I'm done. So interesting thing about the lard ass scene. If you look behind the twins, I guess you call an Easter egg, a live Ray Brower. Really? Yeah. And I think they just Easter egg sort of thing. Okay. Just like, cause it's Gordy's story. It's a magic. It's not a real thing that yeah. happened, but in the story behind the twins, there's an Now, if Ray it Brower. wasn't a story that Gordy told that it actually happened, you would have to insinuate that lard ass killed Ray Brower hour there you go maybe a revenge death that's actually a good a very good call you're welcome 12 year olds walking 20 to 30 miles is pretty insane on train tracks they never actually confirm how far it is but they say i don't know 20 30 miles and it's like in two days you know what i mean like these kids are wearing chuck taylors and stuff like i just and they didn't bring food no they did not bring fucking food they had two dollars and seven cents between all of them well they get hamburger meat they stop at the store yeah and they they stop at the junkyard and i think they eat but i don't think we see him eat again no he brought four cigarettes he did well because nothing beats a smoke after a meal that's right how old are these kids 12. Just smoking? Yeah. Cash smoke. 59. That's a good point. This might be the first time I've watched this movie in high definition. I know, I did not watch it in high def. I watched it on standard DVD. And even though they say Teddy almost got his ear burned off, I've never actually saw it or noticed it before. I looked at it. It's like... It's a little mangled. Yeah, it's a little mangled. It, it looks weird. It's like weird makeup, but... Did... I don't... Did he have the mole in his nose, like, divot in his later years? I've never noticed that before on Corey know. Feldman. I don't know. Because I was just fixated on it. How many pennies did Vern have under his porch that I, it was important for him to dig up? First off, we need to talk about Vern's obsessive compulsive disorder yes. because he it looked like a minefield under there and they were perfectly spaced out where he was digging and they were perfectly dug. I just don't know how many. I mean, it is 1959, so it didn't take much money to buy penny stuff. Went, a penny went far. But like... How big was this jar? How many pennies? Like, how much money is this that we're talking? It's Vern. He had only seven cents on him. He probably saved 25 cents. Yeah, again, we've said this. Gordy's parents are shitty. God they, damn. They dude. basically neglect Gordy after his brother dies, and his dad's like, Why couldn't you have friends like your brothers? And it's like, Wow, man. Like At the, this point, why don't you just say, Hey, dad, why don't you blame me for killing my older brother? Yeah, it's just, it's wild that they're so mean to him. This whole Ray Brower thing just fascinates me because I'm trying to think a lot of what ifs. Yeah. Like a ton of what ifs. Like what if somehow Ace was involved? What if Gordy's brother well, somehow knew something? I think they set you up. It is a story when you look at it about, you know, you could almost call Chris's brother an adult. Oh yeah. He's going to Michigan State. So Chris's brother is, you know, not to early twenties. Yeah. He's not nice to Chris. He's, he's 
you know, Gordy, his parents are obviously shitty. Teddy, his dad tried to burn his ear. Yeah. Like, and his dad's in, in halfway house or prison or whatever. You look, this movie purposely sets you up to be like, okay, in this universe, all adults are bad. There's not, I don't think there's a single adult in this movie that's really like, I can't remember. Do we get a lot of Vern backstory with his parents? Not really. No. So maybe his parents are just fucking normal. Maybe, but they don't, they don't tell us them. Every adult in this movie, literally every adult we meet is bad in some way. So when you use that as your point of reference, Ray Brower was murdered by an adult. And what makes it better at the end where Richard Dreyfus, as older Gordy, yes. makes it a point to be great to sure. his kids. Right. So I guess he's not a piece of shit. He didn't kill Ray Brower. He did not kill Ray Brower. No. No Brower power. <laughs> but we had Bower power later in life. Uh, we mentioned earlier when Gordy and Vern jump from the tracks <laughs> onto the rocks. They'd be quadriplegics. They would have went back because in or, time. Yeah. Or because, because <laughs> Chris and Teddy, Chris and Teddy would have had to gone back and getting help because they would have found three dead bodies, Ray Browers and then Vernon. How fast do you think this train was going? Not very. Yeah. Because you could have outran the they train. They could have. They could have. I don't know. It was, it was all Vern yeah. because they had like a couple more feet. He was obsessed with that fucking comb. They also, yeah. And they also wasted so much time. God like damn. The, the amount of time it took Gordy to reach down and touch the tracks to see if a train was coming, yeah. they could have made it like a quarter of the way on the on the tracks on the bridge. This movie changes the fates of Teddy and Vern. So in the book, Teddy's revealed to have died in a car crash instead of doing jail time and working odd jobs. Vern dies in a house fire instead of being a forklift operator, father of four. Matt Thompson. So <laughs> shout out, Matt Thompson. <laughs> shout out to Matt Minus Thompson. the four kids, Thompson. You might have four kids floating yeah. around. I don't know. Good on you. Uh, what is legacy in this movie? John Singer put several direct references in Boys of the Hood because he was a big fan. Yeah, if only he would have zigged and zagged, he'd be alive. He wouldn't be a Ray Brower. God. There's also a Jeff Nichols movie called, Ricky. called Mud that I very much like that was heavily influenced by Nichols' love of Stand By Me. Reese Witherspoon plays a character named Juniper three years before I named my daughter Juniper. There you go. Definitely one of the influences. It's crazy because this movie to me is just about perfect. It's like an hour and 25 minutes. It's great. And it tells a great story from start to finish it's not really missing anything it has enough like context and subcontext and and you can fill in you know it doesn't beat you over the head with exposition like it's a good movie there's some action it's pretty straightforward i'd be neglectful also if we did not mention the music in this movie oh yeah is top notch you get the great music that lollipop uh, needle drop that scene is so fucking yeah. good and benny king recharted yeah. it was number one on top of the pops in 1987 awesome. it recharted stand by me yeah, that's better than Michael Jackson singing Stand By. Yeah, and we didn't have this on our list, but this obviously is up there with the Stephen King adaptation. Oh, this yeah, would I probably think, be number one. I think they said when Stephen King saw this, he cried because yeah. he was like, this is it. You found me. And that's how Rob Reiner ended up getting misery because Stephen King was so happy with how Rob Reiner did on this that he was like, yeah, you can direct. I think he gave him the rights for like nothing. Okay, let's uh, stick around for some plugs. Pool Sceners, once again, thank you for listening to this episode of the show and all of the other ones in our back catalog. And you can find those on Apple, Spotify, Podbean, Podbay, and wherever you get your podcast from, because we are there. And never forget to like, comment, subscribe, rate, and follow on Facebook. Join the Pool Seniors group for exclusive content. You will get it there first. Instagram, Twitch, Threads, TikTok, and YouTube at Pool Scene Podcast. 
We are all over the place, so you will never get one opportunity to miss us anytime, anywhere. And as always, back to Kevin. Final app guy, did you kill Ray Brower? Yeah! The final lap! Jim, have you ever had Wingstop? You know what? God damn it. Literally had this discussion at I didn't work. I think I would elicit this response. Yeah, My God. literally had this discussion at work. I'm probably one of the few people that have never had it. And there's a part of me that just doesn't want to have it. I've never had it. I'm going to, I'm planning on getting it tonight after we record so I can report back. But I, so by rule, my my deal with wings, wings are one of my favorite foods. My kids always say, what's your favorite food? It's no, the gold say, standard. Chicken it's wings, chicken parm. Sheldon Benjamin. Ask me on the day. It's probably chicken wings, usually. Chicken um, parm wings. Chicken. But, oh, yeah. <laughs> now we're talking. Wings are not a good carryout food. You need they to put, eat them in the moment. You do. You put wings in a styrofoam box. And I don't know how Wingstop serves carryout wings. It has to and be. And I don't even know if you can dine in a Wingstop or if that's weird. There are like places like that that by definition do have tables there. But if you sat there and ate at one of the tables they have, you're a weirdo. You're weird. So I don't know. I'll find out what the uh, situation I is. I feel like it's just like another BW3s. That's what the feeling I get. It's, I hope it's I'm like wrong. A fast food wing place, but but yeah, I I have concerns about the you know the state in which you pick up the wings and get them home, and and when you arrive, what they're they're soggy or. Here's my thing, and you know they fucking do it. As soon as that order comes in, there might be leftover wings. Oh yeah, they're going in that styrofoam container. They're yeah. gonna be soggy. Listen, our gangs is our gold standard. Yes, those are wings. We waited. Big two dogs. Hours. Big dogs. Rest in peace. Those were the gold standard yeah. our gangs is now the gold standard yeah. we waited two hours for wings last week they're perfect yeah. i didn't give a oh, fuck great. we were at our gangs yeah. i don't it could have been Hanging four hours busy the one time we went to little wing pretty darn good we, yeah we only went there that one time we went to little wing one time we should probably do that again so had peanut butter some, and jelly yeah, flavored wings grape wings yeah all kinds of stuff. odd shit if it's still there yeah. i don't know if it yeah, is i don't know if they are or not but we should maybe do that one time but but yeah like carry out wings I, I will say in fairness when you look at deals at wingstop it's not that bad of a deal like it you can do like like um, it's like eight wings. You can do mix and match between like boneless, traditional, one or the other, fries, and like a drinks like nine bucks or something. There's this family where it's boneless, which I don't consider boneless wings really wings. It's just a nugget, but, but yeah. But they have um like a boneless thing where you can get twenty boneless, up to four flavors, two fries, and then like it comes with dips and shit, and it's like sixteen bucks. And oh, I'm that's like, not bad. That's not bad at all. You want to have good wings? Here's another tip to you people that live in the area in which we are recording red plum and howland they have like that fucking southwest cajun sauce there's nothing better to me a good cajun ranch and i'm not talking dry i'm talking wet make that shit moist it's the best flavor of wing do you think that's your number one sauce across any wing establishment i think across any wing establishment i'm going back to the days of the draft house when it smelled like piss yeah the cajun ranch wings wore the same now they'll be if it's not called cajun ranch it'll be like southwest something southwest southwest cajun. something deep blue something deep blue sea my hat is like a shark's fin yeah. If they had that flavor, fucking like wing, a shark's wing wing. I want to have a shark wing. I'd fucking eat the shit out of a shark fin wing. We've had cat wings. Cat, yes, those we are did. probably the worst wings. We've and ever we had. the fucking mount charged. It was between a sixer of beer in what was the name of the town again? We had Magfest, um, uh, National Harbor, National Harbor, Maryland. I paid. I think it was like it wasn't it was, even it was ninety dollars for the pizza and wings and stuff. A six pack of fucking beer cost me twenty one dollars. Yeah. The nuclear colored wings. Oh we, yeah, we've been into them. They were like fluorescent 
yellow fluorescent green. But it goes back to the carryout thing because by the time we got them at that hotel, oh, yeah. they were soggy. Yeah, they were and, weird. I mean, we chucked Pete's out the window. I chucked Pete's out you, the window. You were very disappointed. That's very disappointing. Chucking window, Pete's out the window. That was also, you guys decided to go have a night on the town. That's when Craig Pencil blast. was created. And I was the one who was talking to somebody at the time. And I decided to sit in my hotel room and talk to her on the phone like a fucking idiot. Uh-huh. Oh, fuck it. Idiot. I really like so Ice House uh, there in in like Mineral Ridge. Oh yeah, their hot sauce they make it in house. It's like a real like a watery. It's not like a sticky hot like sauce. A Frank's Red Hot almost sort of, but they like make it in house. It's really good. I really but like see, their hot. You, you always go to the hot wing. Like I'm hot. very hesitant about that because yeah. I know I'll be up half the night. See, with theirs heartburn. isn't super hot, but it's it's got a really good flavor. You know whose hot sauce I like as far as like the chains is Hooters. Hooters has wow. really good hot sauce. Yeah, as long as you don't put it in the car for seven hours on the way back home and the <laughs> smell that permeates um nobody goes to hooters for wings though we we did learn that no people do go to hooters for wings wow yeah they got the wings with the extra shit on them which i don't know which if they do i'm sorry i don't want wings with like the extra leg hanging off the back i don't want <laughs> listen i want to eat wings and it's enough work as it is between having to lick my fingers in between bites i don't need to have to commit surgery so you know what we're gonna need to do is um they do uh tuesday night wing nights at Westside bowl oh yeah and that's the night lewis does um Eric bingo lewis, who, yeah he does the who's gonna be on a talking bar bingo next uh, month he'll be on next month yeah they do 50 wings on Tuesdays. Uh, you can do carry out too. It's 75 cent carry out, yeah. which again, we just had a diatribe Finally. on carry out wings. But uh, we should go there on Tuesday. We should get some wings, have a couple beers and stick around, hang out with uh, Lewis at, at Bingo for a little Dude, bit. Dude, I'd be down for that. Let's do that. I guess we'll end this podcast on a um, a wing high. A wing high. No wing throat. No wing. Quay! <laughs> Quay! <laughs> My name is not Quay! Quay. <laughs> From now on, when we eat wings, that's my wing alias. Be like, do I have a name for the order? Quay. <laughs> Q U A Y. Remember, uh, yeah, I, I, I don't know. We used to uh, when we were at was it Horror Hound? Yeah, I could say my name was. Du- we we just were delirious. We tried. I think we were drunk, and, <laughs> and I just thought it was so funny to make the mall like Paige Douglas Quaid. <laughs> I think I can remember we were in Monroeville Mall. Yeah, and you were obsessed. I'll never forget this. You were just you wouldn't shut the fuck up. Like, yeah. I need the mall. To fucking say that I'm looking for a Douglas Quaid. I don't know why it was so funny. Um, <laughs> My name is not Quaid. Yeah. Uh, so imagine Schwarzenegger and Stand By Me. That would have been a fucking hoot. I think we should open like a gross wings place. We have so many businesses. There's got to be a gross wings place where it's like, imagine if you. Um, gross wings. You talking about gross wing flavor or wing structure? Oh, like imagine taking a wing. Oh, I don't and want then the weird like fucking like dipping it in like mac and cheese and freezing it, then deep frying it. Freezing it. Yeah. So like it has like a fried mac and cheese on the breading of the wing, and then like just wings covered in weird shit. I mean, which like little <laughs> does a little bit like peanut butter and jelly. Like put panko crumbs, a chunk of fucking yeah. what a, a lifesaver on it. Let's do some weird wings. Weird shit wings. Yeah. WSW Fruit Loops Fruit Loops Crushed up Fruit Loop Listen There's weirder shit out there Yeah That could be part of our skating venture Hey That's a good idea But don't Don't say anything to anybody No That's that's our idea That's our idea You're not fucking taking it Speaking of ideas though Shout out to the responses That we got for Graphic designers For our new logo And the merch I shared some stuff With Kevin last week About the shirts That we are gonna get Uh, Also thank you Uh, We're gonna be uh, We got some notifications Saying hey We're gonna say 
send you some logos, see what you guys think. And uh, we greatly appreciate the response because I didn't expect such an immediate response about yeah, stuff. Keep, keep sending them. We're going to print some t-shirts and okay, uh, hoodies, hoodies, more information on that. And then no uh, extra small sizes. No, no so small, do. no extra small. We no. don't know any small people. No, we don't know any small. It's a medium and above up to uh, 12 X, 12 X. Yeah. We fit a couple fit a family in there. We, we need Turl to be able to wear our hoodie. <laughs> Fit well, over his fucking hand. Twelve feet tall. Well, then again, you blow his fucking hand off her leg. He don't. It won't phase him. All right. Well, until next week, where we don't know what we're doing. We do, as Jim said, we have some special guests lined up over the next several weeks as we transition out of season fourteen and into season fifteen. Couple special things planned. A couple episodes we're looking forward to. Special guests. But as of today, we don't know what we're doing next week. So until then, join us next week. Silencia. Yeah.